This is Coda Radio, episode 388 for November 16th, 2020. And welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world and tools that make it possible. This episode is brought to you by a cloud guru. A cloud guru now includes cloud playgrounds, Azure AWS, or Google Cloud sandboxes on ACG's credit card, not yours. Get certified, get hired, get learning at cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and joining us like the soldier established at his podcast post, it is our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. How's Sayusa doing, Chris? Oh, no. Who let Jar Jar in? Get that guy out of there. Mike, get your taser. Get your taser. Oh, crap. (laughs) I like your taser sound effect. That was, you you went all in. I sense someone's (laughs) clipping that pretty soon. So, (laughs) I appreciate your dedication to an intro, though. Well, you know, we haven't had Jar Jar in a while. And I figured I had you at a, you know, you were worried about your recording setup. You're kind of not paying attention. I figured I. That's true. Yeah, that's true. My machine technical difficulties gave you an opening to sneak in a Jar Jar. I see how you're operating over there. Also, my chair. It's making a lot of noise all of a sudden. Mm. You hear that? Yeah. It's just falling apart. It's, and you know, how good is a podcaster with a bad chair? Not very, I say. I say. Not great. Well, we did a thing last week. Uh, we talked about the Apple event, and uh, we didn't really have a lot of feedback in that episode. So now we have a pretty good batch of feedback. It's because they're giving us the silent treatment for doing an Apple episode. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get a lot. We did not get a lot. So uh, no. the window is now open uh, if you want to get your feedback in the show. But we do have a batch uh, from the episode before that we didn't get to. Um, and it's along many of our uh, our current themes. Uh, Mike, not you, at least I don't think, wrote in. He says, hey, guys, I'm a full stack web developer and I've been one for about 15 years now. So does that full stack change over those 15 years? It must, right? Yeah, it could be a lot of things. Yeah. He says, I was pleased to hear you guys talking about how macOS might not be the best OS for developers anymore. I have a feeling, and it's been growing over the last few years, but maybe I felt like I was the only one. Back in 2005-ish, I left the Windows world to code on a Mac. This was very odd at the time, so much so that the agency I worked for automatically would give Macs to designers and HPs to the developers. I was the first developer in history of the company to ask for a dev machine to be in a Mac. But to me, it just made sense. It was much closer to the Linux servers we were launching our products on, and it was quite easy to get a basic LAMP stack up and running, and the ability to run SSH out of the box was, well, unique. Apparently, it started to catch on because now it's rare to see any developer who doesn't use a Mac. But over the last few years, I've fallen out of love with macOS as a workstation. It seems to be getting further and further from its Unix roots. Setting up a basic LAMP stack now seems like a process that feels like I'm coloring outside the lines, while at the same time, I'm finding it harder to turn off things like Siri and iCloud. I got the new Mac, and that that butterfly keyboard was an abomination (laughs) that I had for less than a year before offloading and getting a System76 Lumber Pro. Uh I'll admit that there is some applications that are still not up to snuff on Linux. I'm looking at you, email clients and database GUIs. But literally everything else is a huge positive. It makes me wonder why more developers, especially web developers, aren't using Linux at their workstations. 
I know that companies like System76 thrive on the developer market, but in my own development circles, I once again feel like I'm that crazy weirdo using the Linux machine as my workstation and a daily driver. Do you think we'll see more mainstream adoption of Linux as a workstation, or is just Mac OS going to be the dominant OS platform for the future? Curious to hear your thoughts. Mike, a.k.a. Mike Codermonkey. First of all, excellent uh, John Colton reference there. So this is a real long Hail Mary pitch because the question is, are the new M1 or whatever the next model M2, if they follow a logical naming convention, which for the love of God, just increment the numbers. M1X is what it's going to be next, I bet. I know. I I don't know why. Like, it, like I was looking at the new Xboxes and I'm getting a PS5 because it makes more sense. I really have old man syndrome creeping in with the new Xboxes. I, I, I don't get it. That's a whole another rant we can do another day. But th- there's like a big asterisk here, right? And I think we're going to get this in one of the other feedback uh, emails. But if the M1 and Apple Silicon as a series can really provide um, battery life and performance as they claim it can, and they're making some some pretty... I mean, they're flexing, right? They're making some pretty bold claims. Yeah. Then it is going to be hard to justify anything else. Having said that, there are things I'm not supposed to talk about, but I know other things could be coming out soon that might be interesting from other places. So, and I'm going to make the intuitive jump here that like Dell is going to do something, right? Yeah. Yeah. So right now, I would be hard pressed to tell anybody not to consider the new Apple Silicon Max, with the big, big, big double asterisk here of number one, does your toolchain actually work on it right now, which most do. And I think that's a little overhyped that, you know, toolchains aren't going to work within 90 days, everything's going to work. And number two, there are Ryzen chips, or not Ryzen, but AMD chips coming out. Intel's got some new stuff coming out, although I have zero faith in Intel. So that's, I am not an Intel fan right now. My Xeons are looking awfully shitty. It depends, right? Can some other chipset, some other architecture match this performance, uh, performance for battery life balance with, you mentioned the crappy keyboards on the old Macs, with a good screen, right? With a built-in camera, with a decent microphone that's built into your laptop, where you can literally, as a, as a, you know, independent developer or as an employer, just buy a machine that does everything. Yeah. That's my take. I know it's not the take people want to hear, but. No, I, I, I take your point that, um, it's a whole product, too. I think something that I, I kind of regret not touching on last week in our coverage is, for as long as I can see, you're always going to be able to build a faster PC than what Apple will sell you, uh, unless they start putting, like, 64 cores in these things. Because you can only buy what Apple makes, but you can build a custom PC that is insane. If power is not the metric in which you measure, like power consumption, hmm. but instead performance is, you could get a system with, you know, dual thread rippers in it or something. I mean, I'm just kind of pulling out of my butt, but you get what am I like? You can get more than 16 gigs of RAM. Yeah, but then there's the softer things of like, does the camera suck? Does the built-in microphone suck for the millions of Zoom meetings you're going to have to take? Yeah, and that's a really fair point because that's an area where I think Apple's going to start getting a little more aggressive. They've got the image processing now on the front-facing camera. Their audio speaker, you know, the audio quality of their speakers and microphones is already above everybody else in the industry. Well, let's jump ahead to that skeptical email because I want to talk about this because I think it's it's easy in the laptop context for them to win. And I think in, in hindsight, that's why they obviously picked the models they did. But on the higher end, you know, you can get a Thalia with four GPUs in it, right? 
I mean, I, I'm not convinced that like a Thaleo, because everybody knows I love System76, and like a uh, M1 MacBook isn't a good option for people, right? Like, I'm true, totally down with mixing, you know, cross at chocolate and peanut butter. But go ahead, yeah. Okay, so Odin writes in. He says, "I, uh, I was following the Apple news." Apple is touting a three or three and a half times performance increase compared to the higher performing CPUs for notebooks. Like, and Apple often just would sort of arbitrarily say the best selling PC, which is probably not the most expensive PC. Uh, but he goes on to say, to me, three X performance means that the CPU CPU bound benchmarks that take a minute to complete on an i nine would take maybe twenty seconds on Alec- uh, on Apple's Silicon M one. For example, this Mac Rumors article he links us to where he talks about the first M1 uh, benchmarks coming out, which we'll have a link to that in the show notes, is purportedly from new M1 MacBook Airs. While these are impressive results for an ARM device, they are mid-range compared to earlier Intel MacBook numbers, and in some cases even three to four times weaker, he said yes, three to four times, than comparably priced Dell XPS devices with older Intel parts. I don't think there's any way Apple's numbers hold up to scrutiny. The only way we can re- we can be sure about this is by doing old style benchmarks. He says Microsoft used to do a trick in the day where they would test compiled software without optimizations for the benchmark to compare against. And then their version, they'd use all the optimizations. And he thinks that's what Apple is doing. I'm not really so sure. Um, well, I mean, we'll know soon. The reviewers already have them. The numbers will be out. But actually looks like to me they're pretty respectable. They're pretty much faster than any Mac you could get before that's in that class of machine. And if that's what you're buying, then it's a pretty clear and nice upgrade. might not be faster than, well, I know it's not faster because I just reviewed a Dell Precision uh, 5570 or 5750, and it's got two Xeon core. It's got, oh, how many cores? Eight Xeon cores? I can't remember. It's, it's a very fast CPU, and it's not faster than that. I just ran the benchmarks. But it's pretty impressive for something that fits in the MacBook Air. But... Uh, we we uh, I think we probably don't really have much more to add to that because the the it'll be a week and we'll have actual numbers and people can stop speculating. Yeah, it, it, it'll be a week. I mean, I have one tiny caveat, but it's super tiny. Show me OpenGL, right? Not Metal. Yeah. Meaning, show me the non-Apple proprietary performance benchmarks. Right. Because I know you know I got some feedback, some call it flack on Twitter <laughs> about my. I am very bullish on Apple Silicon. Right. I think it's good. I still think the future for me is basically Linux, although I do all the media stuff on the iMac Pro for reasons that we've talked about a hundred times and listen to the back catalog. You know, if they had said, here, boss, here's Photoshop, here's Illustrator, go for it, right? And this is, you know, using Rosetta 2. But like, they showed all their own software, basically. Yeah. Right? Show me, like, my th- I've come from a family of accountants. So show me they're ridiculous, they're basically doing basic programming in Excel spreadsheets running on apple silicon without like a hitch i'm gonna say it's gonna work i'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's gonna work okay so you're on the limb all right here's why geekbench is running under rosetta Mm. all these geekbench benchmarks that are being compared against intel max are running on arm under intel emulation there's no arm version of geekbench yet (laughs) so the results are pretty good (laughs) no that's a great point that's you you took down half my argument in one shot i mean i I still will say that there's a difference between cpu and gpu performance yeah 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 for sure and i'm pretty sure it's gonna shit the bed when it's not metal but we'll see you gotta figure right i mean who just rocks up and all of a sudden builds a great gpu right i mean it took took nvidia ati and well they're the richest company in the world (laughs) so you know if anybody could pull this yeah that's true that's true well we'll see 
a guy named Ryan thinks we were way off on all this stuff on the Mac's not being a great workstation anymore for developers. He says, I've been using the Mac as a daily driver for 18 years. Wait, did I say that? Well, I, I mean, we've, we've kind of implied that Mac OS is kind of becoming non-competitive when you compare it to using modern Linux or Windows 10 with WSL. Fair enough. Okay. And we've both said for us, it's not really like, it's not really as compelling as it used to be. Yeah. If, if I didn't stupidly spend five grand on iMac pro, I wouldn't be using it at all. Correct. So this is going back to a guy named Ryan. I always felt bad because I also love Linux and open source and realize Apple can be a pretty bad actor in this space. Mm. I, mean, I don't know if that's fair, actually. I mean, yeah, not not a great player, but I mean, WebKit is open source. and Yeah, they do a lot of web standards. Of it. Uh. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a mixed bag. I think that you could definitely agree with that. And At one point, they were really supportive of cups and then they're like, ha, no, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it took them a few years, but yeah. He says, I, I program mostly in Ruby and with lots of other o- open source tools. And I often look just over the fence in Envy of some of the tools and features that seem to be available in the open source world. But every foray, And every time I've gone in, which has been many, into Linux as a workstation, it's really been a disappointment. Crummy clipboard apps and history, ugly applications, disappointing launchers, monitor, high DPI, random hardware issues with my GPU all the time, not to mention occasional driver issues. It just never works. So every time I sulk back to Mac OS and I feel like a fraud. Well, no more. Today, I was trying to figure out how I'm filling up a whole terabyte drive, and I noticed I have a ton of old crufty files sitting around. How can this be, I asked myself. And then it hit me. I've been using the same laptop for seven years. I've updated it from 10.7 through 10.15 and never had to reinstall or start fresh. I mean, come on, man. That's rock solid. (laughs) I see what he did there. So much so that I didn't even realize the laptop was so freaking old. The battery still holds a decent charge, apps are speedy enough, and nothing's failed on it in all of that time. I listen to a lot of Jupiter Broadcasting, enough to know it's rare to hear the same story in the Linux world. We, I, dog on Apple a lot, and I have my concerns about their direction and their future. But I must say, they've done right by me with this old laptop, and for the most part, macOS. For me, homebrew works. Commercial applications work. APFS transition was invisible to me. My displays work. Hell, Time Machine, it continues to chug along. My GUI is gorgeous, and I can change my background without an extension. Low blow. (laughs) I know. He put a winky face in there. (laughs) No. Apple Silicon has me equal parts enticed and worried. I'm going to follow it very closely for the next couple of months. If there's any remote chance that a lovely open source ecosystem or some sort of ports start to pop up on an M2-based system, I'll be there in a heartbeat. He says only chumps buy first-generation Apple hardware. Wow. Again, way below the belt, buddy. (laughs) Ryan, what are you doing? He says, I might not even care. As long as I can SSH into a Linux server, I can always have my sweet, sweet open source ecosystem while hanging out on my blazing fast 20-hour battery life laptop. Cheers. Yeah, he's he feels like he's walked out from like this I, this feeling of guilt. I know I felt it. When I bought a MacBook to do some of the production stuff here a while ago, I felt like such a jackass because here I am, Mr. Linux, and I'm... 
I'm going through all my options and I'm just ultimately deciding to buy a MacBook. And I felt like a jerk. Wait a minute. You go to the HomePod Pride parades. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I had a hard time with iOS too, but you know, that's different because it's the mobile area and the, the HomePod's tie in with the phone and Android sucks. I've always kind of considered mobile to be different. And yeah, Android's a dumpster fire. <laughs> spent years trying to make that not suck. It's terrible. He's right in some regards. A 2016 MacBook is totally upgradable to Big Sur. It's never been reinstalled. It runs all the time. Uh, the battery isn't great, but it's not bad. My my battery life health is at 90%, and it's a 2016 laptop. Um, I'm He's right. Other than the fact that it has a butterfly keyboard, it has been one of the most solid machines. And when I look around from my family and like old computers that I collect that are still running, there's a lot of old Macs that are still just chugging along. They might not be supported anymore, but they're still working. I have exactly the same experience. Um, so I have this iMac Pro, but the company, we've all gone System76 for new new purchases, right? And we haven't had any real issues, so to speak. We had like one weird graphics card. was There was something wrong. You had to use it. There's like four display ports. Only one worked, which was great, but we got that resolved. I'm just like, I'm staring at this iMac Pro. There is a lot I don't like about it, and we'll talk about Big Sur shortly. But, you know, it doesn't have a completely broken extension environment that, you know, crashes your entire desktop environment when it can't change a background. Because listen to three weeks ago if you want to hear me bitch about GNOME. Having said that, it is basically not upgradable without me lugging it to the Apple Store and paying a fortune. Uh, It's... The OS is going further and further from the work I'm actually doing, right? Yes, homebrew works, but I'm also doing a lot of emulation on uh, to emulate like Linux systems and, frankly, ARM. But it's Xeons, so like you know, the Xeons can apologize for my crappy software emulation all day long. Mm. Oh, and the microphone is great, the sound is great, the screen is great, and if I am willing to just use all Apple peripherals or you know, except for the keyboard, everything kind of just works, and it's stable. I assume as long as the servers aren't overwhelmed. Yeah. But (laughs) (laughs) now that's a low blow. You know, it's, it's just like, I don't, I want to be careful what I say here. Cause it's, it's going to come off super flamey. I see more future potential in, in frankly for me, Papa Wes, but the things I'm concerned with are effectively just gnomes or I'm sorry, gnomes extension model. Cause I need the extensions and they keep breaking. It's brittle. It's brittle. Like Mac OS is going in the exact opposite direction that I need it to go in. Right. So, so like the truth is I can probably tolerate it for a while, but eventually it's going to be I'm living in VMware and that's like a waste of money, right? I, I live right now in Linux Utopia with my desktop workstation. What's your uh, environment these days? I can't remember. I'm back on Pop and I'm so I'm using Pop 2010, the latest uh, GNOME shell. Okay. And I have an AMD graphics card in there. And this is one of the things I love about this is I, I got a six core Intel processor back in like 2017, 2018. And then I've done one GPU upgrade. And because I early on invested in fast storage, this machine is still such a champion. And I got to tell you, I love having full size display ports on the back of my computer that I just take a cord from my monitor and I just plug into my computer and I've got all these actual full-size display ports. The performance 
is fantastic because in a desktop computer, I've got things like Nextcloud and Dropbox that are on storage that has pretty much nothing else on it. So that way they can sit there and they can ping the disk all day long and it doesn't stop my web browser from launching. So I, I can isolate out tasks to different disk pools, which is a luxury in this system. And it's never something I could do in a Mac, but I know that it improves performance. And so I have the ability to do that in a desktop tower. And then, you know, that one-time GPU upgrade meant that now I've got a fairly high-end GPU in there. It's, I mean, it's a previous generation, but works for me. It's all perfect except for one problem. It doesn't just work. And sometimes I come in in the morning and I, I move the mouse and the screens wake up and my three monitors have completely lost themselves. They're sideways orientations. The, one of the monitors won't even recognize. All the resolutions are off. And I have to reboot. I can't even get all of it to work again without restarting. And it's such a momentum killer. When you're coming in, you've got an idea, you know the application's already open, you sit down, and you've got to accommodate the fact that Linux still struggles with three screens in 2020. And it's extremely frustrating. And it has crossed my mind sometimes to just throw a Mac in there and just have something that's always on and just works. But so far... The other advantages of having that workstation with its upgradability and its performance and its customized storage layout have outweighed the, the, the downsides that come with Linux where I still have to set it up a little bit more than I'd like. I, I still have to struggle with my monitors a little bit more than I'd like. Some of the games don't work even though they're rated a gold standard on Proton DB. Like I still have these quality of life issues that are a problem. But when I zoom out and I look at the net total – the things I really love about this machine is I bought that thing like in late 2017, 2018, and it's still killing it. Like, I just can't even justify replacing it. And I just feel like that's because at the time I was able to do a custom build for my exact particular workload. And that's just something you can do in the PC space that you can't do in the Mac space. And I can continue to change desktop environments between GNOME and Plasma and whatnot. And while there's downsides to it, there's also advantages to having that choice. And so on the bigger picture scale, I, I think that's those are the those are the items that I just hold more important. Um, and that and there's also a certain transparency and visibility. You know, if if amazing ARM PCs came along, I could opt to use those with Linux or I can just keep using Intel or I could go use Ryzen. Like I have choices and as this is a work tool, that kind of stuff seems to really matter to me. And I appreciate the simplicity and the always works nature of this MacBook. I mean, I'll tell you what, I come into this studio and it's never this MacBook that I have a problem with. You know, to today before the show, we were having technical issues. It wasn't the MacBook. Now, if I upgraded to Big Sur, <laughs> maybe that'll change. But if I just leave it alone, the thing has just run and I've never reinstalled this thing. So I, I do follow Ryan's point. Um, and I, I do think that because you and I value other aspects of our of our workstations or our tools, we sometimes don't give full credit to what they have gotten right. So I appreciate that Ryan was willing to write in and tell us what we got wrong. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get a $100 60-day credit towards your new account and you support the show. Linode is the largest independent cloud for developers. And if you're learning security or you just want to practice better security on the systems you're setting up, check out their Linux security series they did with Hackersploit. He's a very well-known individual in the cybersecurity industry. And they made a bunch of episodes that are available on demand 
You can find it on Linode's block, but on their block, you can find it on the block, the block with Linode. No, you can find it on their blog, but you get started at linode.com slash coder. That supports the show and it gets you that $100 60-day credit, which now you're really cooking with gas. And here's the great thing is Linode has 11 data centers worldwide. So you can pick a data center that's either close to you or maybe even better, closer to your clients so they can have great performance. And Linode has built-in monitoring, different tools. You can kind of keep an idea on what's going on. So you get real clear insights into how your systems are performing. And they have boxes that start at just $5 a month. And of course, they have really nice high-end boxes. We have a dedicated CPU rig that we use for our matrix chat. And then we have a different one that does all of the encoding workloads. So we don't actually encode locally on our workstations. We encode up in the Linode cloud. And they have native SSD storage, too, so they it's super fast. So they will just cram the data into those CPUs. And they have 40 gigabit connections coming into the hypervisors. And because Linode's been around forever, <laughs> they started in 2003, they were able to lock in and secure some really great, unique network diagrams and layouts. See, they have a whole blog post about that, too. But they have some special sauce there. So if you need low-latency applications, that's something to look into. Oh, also... Linode's hiring. Something you should go, something to consider is they're hiring. And while they're a great sponsor, they may be a great spot for you to work too. So something to check out is linode.com slash careers to find out more. But thanks to Linode for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. It's a great fit for our audience because they're 30 to 50% cheaper than something like AWS. They're independently owned, so you can trust them. And they've been around three years before AWS started. If it runs on Linux, you can run it on Linode. They're dedicated to offering the best virtualized cloud computing out there. It's great for developers, and that $100 credit will get you pretty far. Just go to linode.com slash coder. That's linode.com slash coder, and a big thank you to Linode for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. We actually have just a little bit more feedback, uh, but we're done with the uh, workstation stuff, and we're getting more into the actual nitty-gritties of things. And uh, I'm curious to see what your updated take is on this. Aaron G. writes in, And he says, the dreamer in me continues to hope there's a viable cross-platform development solution. Can you give me a dose of reality? I'm tired of being disappointed. (laughs) As a longtime listener, the show is as good as ever. Um, he, uh, He wants you to tell him the truth. Web apps have come a long way, but they're still a long way behind native apps in terms of tooling and performance. Is this just a dream that's never going to happen? All right. Sit down. All right. There is, so my inner New Jersey guy is coming out now. There is a Bruce Springsteen song I need you to listen to. It's called The River. Okay. Not going to spoil it for you, but if you're around a certain age or you are, you know, ever been to New Jersey, you probably have an idea what it's about. It doesn't go well for the kid in that song. <laughs> oh. There's a line about dreams being lies when they don't come true. Yeah, it's uh, it's never going to happen. I've been chasing this dragon for so long. Not that it won't get better. But native, particularly on platforms like iOS, where the platform vendor has an incentive to make it better, is always going to be flashier and nicer. That's just it, isn't it? That's just, that's it, right? Simple. They, they, uh, Apple and really Google. Well, yeah, not not as much. I agree. <laughs> don't have, but they don't. Neither one of them really have much incentive to make cross-platform development super easy. Google does because they're kind of in a second position, but Apple definitely doesn't. I really wish this was going to change, but as we have mapped it out over the history of this show, it seems like not nothing. You get closer and closer with different varying degrees of work involved. <laughs> but uh, if you haven't heard, the new future is everything just runs on iOS. <laughs> no, no, no. I kid. I kid. I kid. Uh, but maybe somebody disagrees. You're, you're welcome to uh, mail in. 
Bring it. We often try to do that math for people if they should go independent or if they should stay at a dark matter development job. Well, PC Wiz writes in and he says the math is actually different if you're across the pond. He says, uh, greetings from Berlin. Uh, a recurring theme on Coda Radio is if some, someone should go indie. Well, I'm currently an employee at a startup, which come with all the perks of employment. Decent, reliable salary, paid vacation, and most notably for Americans, meaningful health insurance. To go self-employed, I'd be trading secure regular income for a mountain of paperwork and a possibility of avoiding some tax maybe. What's more, contract work is often just seasonal with clients splurging shortly before your end. (laughs) I know what that one is like. Mm, Can't imagine why. Yeah. The point I'm getting at, he says, is that at least here in Europe, the work-life balance is often much better as an employee. If someone is considering a contract, they'll really need to factor in the hours, unreliable admin, tendering and networking, and the insecurity that all adds up really to not being worth the tax avoidance. You know, I think his point is, too, is you get he gets better benefits, <laughs> you know, that he has he has health care. They kind of have a higher standard of uh, vacations. Yeah. And um, there's a lot more incentive to be an employee where he's from in Berlin, at least. That's a fair point. Yeah, I, th- I think one thing is we have a very U.S. focus and uh, you get hashtag nothing here. So, yeah. 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 Don't remind me. It's a constant source of stress for me. Yep. Same. Um, although I, I mentioned, you know, my wife needed to cross the board to get insulin. Somebody did contact me with what seems like a very reliable possibility. So that'll be good. Oh, good. Because, yeah, it's a process. I tell you what. Well, you know, you've been missing it. We did get some email about Sousa. Adam writes in. He says, after listening to the latest episode, which was actually two episodes ago. I went back to Chris's rant about why he doesn't like open Seuss. And I think if you just change the tone, he actually sounds like an open Seuss fan. The only criticism I really eked out was he said it's an old way of doing things because it's based on Slackware. But honestly, some may even see that as a plus. Seriously, a lot of the critiques were just, but people don't use it. Nothing actually wrong with the product. It almost sounds like the problem with open Seuss is just adoption and therefore marketing. Hell, I'm even going to go try out OpenSUSE now. As a side note, I think OBS, the OpenSUSE build service, is actually the correct way to combat Linux packaging problem. Instead of learning a distro's package manager while also worrying about Snap, Flatpak, AppImage, and all the above, I think there exists a world where you just learn your preferred package manager and that's it. Uh, That's called the old world, Adam. Anyways, moving on, he says, I'm new to the show and trying to get into programming while working fairly low-level IT. Your content and everything out of Jupiter Broadcasting is keeping me sane in these trying times. Best of luck and keep up the good work, Adam. What about it, Chris? My criticism with OpenSUSE was, I think, in large part, it uh, isn't widely used. And so, you know, if I was in consultant mode and I'm working with a client and they're building new infrastructure with an on-premises data center, I wouldn't really necessarily advise them to use SUSE. I'd probably advise them to use CentOS, RHEL, or Ubuntu LTS, just simply because the job pool and talent pool is much larger. Um, if they have to troubleshoot something, it's going to be a lot more straightforward. If they need to hire somebody, it's going to be easy to hire somebody versus... OpenSUSE being more boutique makes it harder to find somebody, probably makes them more expensive. Uh, so that would be some of the reasons. But you're right, that does essentially come down to it's not used by a lot of people. I don't know how to put it into words is part of the problem is I find I find it frustrating to use. I find it a bit frustrating to use the distribution. And I find that sometimes the, dis- the project, maybe not intentionally, projects a bit of arrogance that uh, that maybe has gotten better in the last couple of years, but in the past has projected an arrogance, which I find off-putting. 
So there's that that aspect of it too. However, you know, I've thought about this as we've gotten a lot of emails into the show. And one of the things that I have to guard against is old manisms where I I just assume that things that, that were a certain way in technology in the past remain true now. Sometimes that bears out and sometimes you have to reevaluate. And so I think I'm kind of beginning the process of reconsidering SUSE and open SUSE. I think ultimately it might come down to what your experience ends up being like and if it works out for you, you know? <laughs> That makes sense. And I will say for anybody who feels like Chris, that it's, you know, difficult to manage your SUSE servers. There is a great vendor called the Madbotter Inc. in Florida that's so happy to help you. There you go. There you go. Hey, you know, that's not a bad idea, really. If, you know, you were going to build in-house expertise, why not, uh, why not offer that out? And we have a data center being built right now. So Nice. Boy, I wish I could see it. I sure miss traveling. I wish I could come down there and see it. Maybe next year. Well, hopefully, hopefully by the spring we can actually, you know, leave the house. Yeah, really. I, I I'd like to come down there, see the data center, and have you take me to the best food nearby. You know, it doesn't have to be the best food ever, just the best food nearby. Hmm. <laughs> I have to think about that one. I like to eat when I travel. I got to admit it. You know who else likes to eat? Hmm. The data dog. Oh, that's right. Datadog.com slash Coder Radio. This is great if you're looking at building out some on-premises or if you have infrastructure on cloud or maybe infrastructure across multiple cloud providers. Today's episode of Coder Radio is sponsored by Datadog, the monitoring analytics platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications. You can see inside any stack at any scale, anywhere, on-premises, on any provider. In 2010, Datadog got kicked off when their founders realized that you needed something that could help the developers and the sysadmins communicate. And, you know, when you have multiple teams working who are often working at cross-purposes, it can be hard to work from the same set of data. Well, that's where Datadog comes in. It gives you a really rich dashboard with machine learning-based alerts, customizable dashboards. You can integrate with over 400 different vendor-backed plugins to the dashboard and if you go to datadog.com slash radio and set up a dashboard, you'll get a free T-shirt. Isn't that nice? See how great it is when you combine metrics, traces, and logs, and you put it all in one place. Not only is it easy to troubleshoot application performance, but you just get insights you never thought were possible. Datadog.com slash radio. Go there to see how you can unify your monitoring today. You see it all in one place with Datadog. And like I said, if you set up that dashboard, you get a free t-shirt, but you got to go to datadog.com slash coder radio to get that. They recently rewrote their agent in Go and the process of deploying and getting it set up was sort of like the strength of what Go is right there for deploying something like this on a server. It's really easy and straightforward. You'll be up and going in minutes. Just get started at datadog.com slash coder radio. All right, Mike. So real quickly, because I want to actually hear about your experiences uh, upgrading your machine this week. Mm. But I think the the story that the audience is probably thinking and talking about the most this week is that YouTube DL's repo, or a new repo at least, is back up on GitHub. And GitHub has announced several changes they're going to make, which seem to be a little more developer first when it comes to DMCA takedowns. And they're going to improve how they notify developers. In response, YouTube DL has removed the example copyrighted videos and it appears they've removed some cipher bypassing code as well. And now with that change and with GitHub's new policy and the support of the EFF, 
YouTube DL is back up online on GitHub. You know, the, the their changes towards the DMCA might have the biggest long ramifications and impacts for developers, potentially. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the DMCA, ugh, I, I've, you know, there, I think there's a little Guy Fox mask wearing person in every developer who's like, just like, let the code be up there and whatever, right? Yeah. But I don't know. I sort of don't believe that we can current we currently have the capacity to actually change the law like any law that's maybe a different conversation so i mean microsoft right github it's doing the right thing here yeah i don't know i think the, you know what the, honestly all this is like the crap with the the software patents like all this stuff is a hammer that the rich organizations and the big guys get to use on the little guys and that's just how i feel about it I think GitHub read the situation correctly here and responded in a pretty strong way with a pretty big post. And they tr- seem to try to be pretty transparent. They say they were able to reinstate the fork after these changes were made and some of the changes they've made internally. And then they outline them all. And they also say in the future, if a, if a claim, if a DMCA claim is ambiguous, they will err on the side of the developer and leave the repository up unless there is clear evidence of circumvention of the law. So I think GitHub read the situation and realized, oh, man, people are worried about precedence here. People are worried about centralizing around GitHub, opening you up to a new type of vulnerability being a DMCA takedown. And I think that's why they tried to handle this with, I guess, as as broadly and as aggressively as they seem to be. It took them a little bit. But now that they're responding, it's a big response. We'll see. We'll see. All right. I can tell what you really want to talk about. I know you. So over, what was it, the weekend, the other day, I saw you tweeting like a maniac. You were going to upgrade your workstation from macOS um, Catalina to Big Sur. So this this came at me at 10 a.m. on November 15th. So that was yesterday. Oh, okay. So this is fresh. This is fresh because the last thing I saw was that the installer hung for 45 minutes. Yeah, that was bad. And I stopped right there and I thought, okay, I got to hear what happened after that. <laughs> so tell me, take me through it. So I had to force forcibly turn it off. Um, and then it turned back on. And it just booted into Big Sur. It was fine. It was a little slower than I thought. Man, you had to forcibly turn it off during an install. That would have me. Yeah, I, it was on that black screen where you know it's like the black screen with the white Apple logo on the line. That is risky. Yes, it is. That could be like that could be like machine doesn't boot after that kind of <laughs> during the installs like the worst case time to hard power. That the only other worst time would probably be a BIOS, uh, you know, firmware update. <laughs> things were a little scary. I don't even know how to say it. Like things were not what I wanted to see. It was touch and go. It was touch and go. You know, I was going to say, Morty, we have to get out of here. It was really, really <laughs> bad. Like. You know, almost like a drunkenly improvised neutrino bomb points if you get the reference. Although with me, I had a laptop, I was in the kitchen and I had a drink. So there is always a lot of risk in this situation. There's just, <laughs> and and the drink doesn't even have to have alcohol in it for me. I, no. Tea has taken more lives than anything else. But it just has to be liquid. So then it booted into Big Sur. And I wondered if I hadn't gotten a contact high off my elderly neighbor, neighbor who just got her medical marijuana card. <laughs> the colors were <laughs> just it was like an assault on my eyes and i i like so okay i gotta be honest you know there i have an inner troll that's sure, sure. enjoys trolling the audience i wanted to come on here today and be like big Sur's awesome mac exodus over uh all hail the m1 you know whatever yeah however i used my portal gun 
and somehow ended up in Fisher Price. I can't even like, first of all, okay, let's take it back. It is important as a person, a robot, an operating system, even to know who you are and who you want to be. You may just serve butter. (laughs) Yes. Or, you know, if you're a conflicted individual like our good friend Linkler, that's a problem, too. Big Sur is like Linkler in this analogy. Hmm. It wants to tell you it's that same great Mac BSD flavor. But in its heart, it knows that it wants to be on a touchscreen. Right. Like, I'm sitting in front of the iMac Pro. On a 27-inch screen, not so bad. But on the little 13-inch... I only run like five or six applications. What do they call it on Mac? The top menu thing. The uh, the menu bar? The system. Yeah, but the top right, the tray. Yeah. It goes almost all the way to the middle because they've made the icons. They have so much padding around them now. Right. And it's so obvious that the reason everything has a ton of padding and spacing is because like at some point you're going to use a stylus or your finger and they're just like kind of breaking you into it. And I don't want that. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I just don't want that. And just recently, as of this weekend, uh, Craig Federici was interviewed and said, no, we're not doing touchscreens. And that's such that's, that's crap. Such bullshit. Bull crap. Like, why not just yeah. say you are? Because it's, yeah. it's so ob- like they've rounded all the buttons to have like the outlines like it like it's so obvious that it's for a finger. It didn't work when Gnome Shell tried to do it. And it's not going to work when Mac OS tries to do it. Well, at least Aqua can still change your desktop background. I mean, Microsoft at least had the good sense to come up with. Remember when they called it Metro? Remember that? I remember the $40,000 I lost. Yes. 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 But they had the good sense to at least create a UI for touch. Whereas what Apple's going to try to do here is they're going to try to do the impossible. And that is take a touch UI designed originally in the 80s, and they're going to try to make it touchable. You mean a mouse UI designed in the 80s? Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I was just I, there, I was getting distracted by thinking about your menu bar icons because um, on this studio one, it's already almost halfway across the screen. Uh, and that's without ginormous, crazy padding. It, it's a super bad experience because, one, it just makes my entire desktop look like it's having some sort of seizure. I mean, nothing like broke. Granted, I'm working mostly in Ruby and Python right now, so it's not like I have a crazy, you know, tool chain. I had a couple like homebrew packages that were like, you should update us. So I did, but it was fine. Like for the coder part of Coder Radio, if you're comfortable on Mac and you like Mac and that's where you're living, I don't think you're going to have any problems other than for the love of God, they have to keep their server up. Hmm. And for people who don't know what was happening is all third party apps of any kind had to phone home every time they launch. And if it times out, not if it can't get a connection, but if it's too slow, it just never launches. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, it, it would actually be better if the server was just down. <laughs> right. It literally, it, it just like skips the error if it's down. Right. So it, I don't know if it actually checks every application launch. I think it does cache the results, but it's for a limited amount of time. So it's a limited. It's like, yeah, well, on an OS update, though, it does them all. Yeah. That's why it got screwed up. Right. What is the motivation to upgrade if this is your development workstation? What is the impetus to go through this process? Um, I, I don't. I don't grok what's motivating people to bother. Well, so the, the MacBook is is not my development workstation. It's just the spare MacBook that, that exists, right? Ah, okay. If if it was, say you were working on a project right now, would you have done this upgrade or would you wait for the project to conclude? So eventually, I still have a couple folks, and I've mentioned it uh, almost every couple of weeks, who are using Mac apps that I wrote. And they are eventually going to upgrade to Big Sur. So I just kind of want to make sure things work. They work, but they look super out of place. So you're upgrading almost to specifically 
at least at some point in the future, test Big Sur compatibility. Yeah, and I did, and it things basically work. It, they just it's a, these are apps that were written in like Snow Leopard, so they just don't look right anymore. You know what I mean? They've got that dark. You know, it, it, this is way inside baseball, but I did some of my own like UI work for them, so they don't just adopt this crazy transparency thing that Big Sur and Catalina did. But Big Sur makes it like much more pronounced. Um, so they look old, right? But they are old. So, <laughs> you know, these are line of business apps. Nobody cares. You know, because like I have this uh, machine here in the studio that will run, it, you know, programs, soundboard stuff and does other things that uh, like has these uh, this isotope audio correction plugin that only runs on Mac or Windows. From a pragmatist standpoint, I don't see any reason to upgrade. I, I get it from like a tinker with technology standpoint. Okay. Confession. I'm doing it for the show a little bit. I'm going to try out Catalyst. Or whatever they're actually calling it now. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'd also be yeah, I'd also be curious to hear how that goes. So yeah, great. And some swift UI just to kick the tires. But again, that's what I'm saying from a practical perspective, for the work that actually like, you know, pays my bills, it's Ruby and Python and they're all running on Linux and it makes literally no sense for me to do this. Yeah. Well on my workstation, right, I'm running the latest Pop OS, I upgrade all the time. On the machine that's recording you, I think it's based on eighteen oh four. You know, it's a pretty old install. Yeah, my pop install is 2010. I just did that upgrade about two weeks ago, and it was fine. I, I, there's nothing wrong with like enjoying a new OS and trying it out either. I just think that from a from a pragmatic standpoint, I could see. I thought maybe what the answer would be is like Xcode requirements. No, but I did upgrade Xcode. Oh <laughs> God! <laughs> well, really? You know, every every couple months because I, I I do like the quarterly or whatever it is with JetBrains for everybody that you know the whole company. Every couple of months, I'm like, do we really need to pay these guys? Then I open Xcode and I'm like, what a deal. These guys are so kind. Mm. It's 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 a lot better than it used to be. But the fact that they decided to make their IDE have that weird transparency effect. I Okay, just that whole transparency effect I find completely distracting. Mm. I just don't like it. Just like fast forwarding a little bit. My concerns, like I don't have any like bombs to drop on Big Sur. My concern is like where they're going with it. Because it seems like every release, they get further and further away from really stable, really pretty BSD workstation. Right. Well, you remember what everybody wanted before Big Sur was announced was everybody was hoping for a refinement and stability year. We all, you know, we all thought it was going to be like Snow Leopard 2.0. Why do you have to hurt me? Okay. I'm never getting my Snow Leopard back and I just have to accept that. I guess so. Every once in a while, I DM Carl from System76 and tell him, hey, just send him screenshots of Snow Leopard. Just like, you know, here you go. I like the idea that you you harass Carl's screenshots <laughs> of a Mac. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, Carl. Just it's all I want. But I can't have it. And and like it's what I don't get is just the flat, like they think everybody's an idiot position of oh, we're not going for touch. If they're not going for touch, then what the hell are they doing? Yeah, come on. Don't don't they're going for touch. I mean, they uh, they always do that right until they announce the, the new thing. Here's what I think. And I mean, we were choking about Snow Leopard, but I actually kind of think there's something to it. And and this when we look at the big picture I was talking about earlier about Linux workstations and how you pick different trade-offs and like the trade-off I've picked is that my monitors after all these years still screw up. But there's nothing that's dragging my desktop in a direction that that is like a, a market tax. And this is a point I've made on the show years ago to you too, is like Mac OS suffers from the Apple strategy tax and they need to bring it in line with what the rest of the company is doing. And the best way to get new games and apps on the Mac is 
to let iOS apps run on it. And so now they have to start making this thing touch compatible and they have to drag the UI through yet another change and don't really focus on some of the core underlying things that would make it a very competitive operating system. Like, I know it was way off the mark, but I was really hoping to hear them say something about Linux in that last keynote, about about virtualized acceleration built into the M1 for Linux VMs or or something about making Linux application development easier. And I know it, it it's not... It's it, it's not likely, but when you look at what Chrome OS is doing and what Windows is doing and what Dell is doing and, and Lenovo is doing and System76 is doing, it's so obvious that there's a market there and Apple is just ignorant to it. And you don't see it reflected in the direction of the OS. What you see is it's more consumerized, it's more productized, it's going to become more locked down, and it's not really going in the direction of power users. And... And there's nothing that drags my Linux desktop for better or for worse in those particular directions. And where you have influences like with vendors like like System76, where they're doing value add to just make it more competitive, uh, but they're not fundamentally hijacking the entire Linux platform for the agenda of uh, you know touchscreen oryxes or something. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I don't mean to hit the touch thing too hard. I am not like religiously opposed, right, to a touchscreen. For a while, my Windows box was a Surface, and it was fine. In fact, I think I think those are a little underrated, to be totally frank. The last three versions of macOS, I would say, have added hurdles or made my workflow feel slightly more foreign on macOS, where I just boot into my lemur and I'm basically happy, except I can't change my background because, god damn it, GNOME, GNOME, <laughs> fix that. It's better. It's every, better now. Every week, I'm. <laughs> ripping you guys because it's like that that should be the number one issue in your issue tracker extensions bring down entire system yeah it's yeah. gotten i mean it really has it's funny that it's still you're right it is an issue but from where i'm said it's like man it's like 10 times better than it was three four years ago no and actually they just updated the extension i was using and now it's like fine right so this i'm, I'm in this weird space and maybe you, you could be my therapist for a second i feel like they hit a home run on apple silicon and just like fumbled the ball. I know I mixed my sports there, but whatever. Fumbled the ball on Big Sur. Yeah, that's my read. Because the there's so many practical advantages to the M1, performance and battery life being the big ones. Yeah. And there's not a lot of practical advantages in Big Sur for those of us that are using it as a workhorse and not, you know, our Facebook machine. <laughs> Although our friend Ivan is very busy on his Facebook machine right now, so well, um, um, we're just going we're circling back to the uh, gatekeeper performance issues that came up during the Big Sur upgrade. Apple today announced that they would be redoing parts of it. They're going to have a new encrypted protocol for developer ID certificate checks. Um, they will, quote, create strong protections against server failure in the future, which I'll note server failure wasn't the problem. It was server performance. And they also are going to have a new preference for users to opt out of these security protections altogether. That is not what I expected. I thought, you know, I, really, when you think about it, why go to your own custom chip platform and have your own custom OS and own the entire stack and not just eventually have them whittle it down to a more and more and more locked-in state? It just seems inevitable, the direction they're going. But something like this... It's almost like it created this opportunity. So now we're going to have this escape hatch perhaps forever now from this check-in system because this controversy came up. 
So they're going to build in a way to just disable it completely beyond just the gatekeeper three settings that exist today. Um, and that seems like maybe the biggest win of all for people who are concerned about privacy. Now they just need to fix the what's going on with the VPN leakage to really kind of patch this all together. But they have issued an update. We'll have a link in the show notes if you care. I assume you probably don't care that they're checking what apps you run and it has to go through a network before the application will fully launch. Not only do I not care as family IT support, I would lock this shit down more. Yeah, I mean, average people don't know what the hell they're doing. They don't know and what they're, they're doing. And they're not going to run a whitelist. Right. And they're totally going to download that Word document in the email. So, No, I get it. I get why Apple did it. And I suppose I would probably trust them more than just about anybody else. I mean, if you're buying a Mac, you, you're giving – the vendor has root access. Let's be honest. They're, if they're installing updates, they're, they're good. <laughs> if, they, if they can uh, update your BIOS, they pretty much got you. So. I, however, appreciate that they're letting you turn it off. I, I don't like the idea of broadcasting – metadata about what developer applications I am using and at what times my computer is active. That kind of stuff, it feels just leaky mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't feel good or private. Um, so I like that they're out making a way to turn it off, but I don't think it should be off by default. Ooh, look at this pretty light coming out of the prism on my desk. <laughs> Man, the bell's getting the workout today. It's been a while. It's been a while. Oh, by the way, just disclaimer, Big Sur is bricking some of the older MacBook Pro models. Oh, yeah. It's great unless you haven't spent $2,000 in a while. Then you're screwed. So maybe those maybe those upgrades don't always just work. <laughs> hey there, Ryan. <laughs> maybe it's not always so hot. Coder QA, I want to just thank you to our QA team out there. You guys support the show. You help uh, keep the show independent. And also... You get a limited ad feed as a thank you. So make sure you're checking that. If you're a Coder QA member, you get the limited ad feed. You can become a member, support the show, and get access to that at coderqa.co for that. Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we need to cover this week? Uh, no, I would just ask if there's anything specific people, uh, specific questions folks have about Catalyst. I'm probably going to look at it for about a week. If it is swift, so my tolerance is pretty low, but we'll see. And then I'm going back to pop because I can't take this anymore. Have you tried Brew since you did the upgrade? Yeah, Brew was fine. I had to update. Yeah. Again, though, I am not running, like, I barely use this. Like, the iMac Pro I use, but I'm working in RubyMine and PyCharm, right? It's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Python's not going to break. Ruby's not going to break. So somebody who's doing more, I would say, down to the machine level stuff on their Mac is probably going to have a hard time. I do everything else on the Lemur or the Thaleo because it's just, it. we talked about it before, but the devices I'm programming for are literally ARM Linux machines, and it's just easier to actually, you know, be on Linux, right? I have a review of a Dell Precision Monster with uh, a ton of RAM in the thing, a big GPU, but even better. And I, t- I go into detail in Linux Unplugged 380, which will come out on Tuesday of this week. Um, they put a crazy vapor chamber cooling system Mm. in this laptop so you can max out the cpu and gpu and it's still whisper quiet and then they've put some special stuff in there to actually make it comfortable for your hands anyways uh i do a review of the precision 5750 which is a preloaded ubuntu box that is a workstation smasher i I actually put it up against a ryzen workstation and it, it fared pretty well and that'll be coming out in Linux Unplugged this week. So if you're curious about that stuff and you're looking for something that I think you could actually fairly call a MacBook killer, and I don't use that lightly, um, this Dell is probably, it's got a big trackpad, it's got a revised keyboard, it has edge-to-edge infinity display, it has an all-metal housing, chamfered edges, uh, and a super cool cooling system. So if you're curious about something like that, check out Linux Unplugged. All right, 
I'm done plugging. I'll mention you can find Mike on Twitter. He's at Dumanuku. His company is at The Mad Botter Inc. I'm Chris Last. The podcast network is at Jupiter Signal. And the show is at Coda Radio Show. Links to what we talked about today can be found at Coda Radio. Or Coda. No. Coder. I wrote it down. I still got it wrong. Coder.show slash 388. It's just simple. It's Coder.show slash the episode number. I think you can figure that out. You can also get our contact form there. We would love to get your feedback. We're running a little low because we batched it all up and read through it today. So we need your emails. That's at coder.show slash contact. You'll also find our RSS feed there. You can join us live on Mondays. We do this show at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern at jblive.tv. Thanks to our chat room who's been chatting along and helps us title this year podcast. We appreciate you guys. And thank you for listening to the Coda Radio program. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>